Will the uninsured get health insurance? A panel discussion sponsored by U.S. News and World Report and the American Medical Association. What follows are highlights of a recent discussion at the National Press Club, moderated by Brian Kelly, the editor of U.S. News and World Report. Panelists are U.S. Senator Max Baucus, Democrat from Montana, and Chairman of the Committee on Finance, the President of the Healthcare Leadership Council, Mary Greeley, and Paul Keckley, Executive Director, Deloitte Center for Health Solutions. Here now to introduce the program is Nancy H. Nielsen, President of the American Medical Association. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, you, you may wonder why we're doing this at a time when Wall Street is tanking and uh, why we're talking about the uninsured, but it couldn't be more timely. It just couldn't be. Uh, we've seen that the unemployment rate has hit a five-year high, and with tremendous uncertainty. We know that the number of uninsured Americans the last time the Census Bureau released the figures was 47 million. That's about one in seven of us. And, and these are not people who live under bridges. These are people who are members of our families, who are neighbors, who are acquaintances, and we all understand the issue. Why is it that this is such a critically important topic at a time when we're worried about the economy um, as, as we look at what's happening in the last week or 10 days on Wall Street? Well, what is it about the uninsured? What are the characteristics? We know absolutely that the uninsured compared to those who have insurance, delay preventive and screening testing. We know that they seek care later in their illness. We know that they live sicker and, <clears throat> and they die younger than their insured neighbors. And frankly, 46 million Americans without health insurance is not a statistic. It's a tragedy and frankly, it's a national disgrace and one that we really need to do something about. It is very important that we all take this seriously. Normally when I go around the country, I ask people to raise their hand how many of them have had anybody in their family or an acquaintance who's been uninsured for a while. Um, let me just ask you, how many of you know somebody who's been uninsured? That's what I thought. This is us. It really is a problem we need to confront in our country. The American Medical Association has for some time had this as a front and center issue. We also want to do more than call attention to the problem of the uninsured. We actually have developed a plan, and I'll tell you in a minute the three principles of that plan. But we actually know that this is a national debate that we must begin, and we must not just focus on the problem, but focus on getting to a solution. And so we're, we're thrilled that the, um, that the three members of our distinguished panel are here to help us have a conversation, and I, I'm sure that they will invite questions from you as well. The AMA's plan focuses on three things. One is enabling individuals to own and choose their own insurance plan. Second, to provide the means where, whereby low-income Americans can purchase health insurance. And finally, market reforms, establishing fair insurance rules so that affordable health plans are offered to our citizens. Well, that's our plan, but we know that others have their own plans. We're here to be part of the dialogue. We thank you very much for coming, and let me now introduce the panel. 
You have already heard that Senator Baucus is here with us. Senator, Senator Baucus is, is um, first of all, the appreciation of the American Medical Association for everything you've done with us and for us lately. We appreciate that, and, and not just lately. Let me be clear about that. <laughs> Senator Baucus chairs Senate Finance Committee, which has jurisdiction over the nation's tax code, the Medicare program, Social Security, and key trade issues. And clearly, his committee will be deeply involved in any health insurance initiative. He was elected to the House in 1974 and then to the Senate in 1978. So 30 years of experience. Uh, we're going to need every moment of that experience to try to get to a solution. Next, uh, Mary Greeley. Mary is president of the Healthcare Leadership Council, which is a coalition of CEOs of the leading healthcare companies. And this council supports consumer-centered healthcare reform and emphasizes the value of private sector innovation. Uh, she has she came from the hospital side of the of the health uh, healthcare industry, served as chief Washington counsel for the American Hospital Association and COO and executive counsel for the Federation of American Hospitals. And Paul Keckley, who is executive director of the Deloitte Center for Health Solutions, he came from both the private sector and academic medicine, was at Vanderbilt as executive director for the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine and a professor both at the medical school and at the Owen Graduate School of Business. And uh, with that, let me turn it over to our panelists. Nancy, thanks, and welcome to everyone on a, what is I'm sure a busy day in Washington. Um, let me start if I can, and you know maybe start at the end here, which is what are two or three ways that you think we can get get to common ground on this? What are you know, we've got an array of proposals, the AMA, the presidential candidates, things that have moved through the Congress uh, in various stages. Where's the common ground, the most likely possibilities of trying to move this issue forward? Well, I'm the eternal optimist. And I think every trade association um, in the healthcare sector has put out their proposal for health reform. Dr. Nielsen talked about the AMA, uh, the hospitals, uh, physician groups, manufacturers, and the Healthcare Leadership Council really represents all those different sectors. And I have been struck by how much commonality there really exists among these different healthcare reform proposals. I think we all agree that we have existing public programs uh, that need to be made more effective. Right now, about 50% of those that are eligible for SCHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program, or those that are eligible for the Medicaid programs, are not enrolled. Uh, so the resources are there. We just need to do a much better job of doing outreach and enrollment. And I think just as importantly, once we have people in those programs, making sure that there's continuity and that those that remain eligible stay in the program. Um, you heard a discussion about providing subsidies for those that are not able to afford health insurance coverage. They're not eligible for the public programs, but they need a helping hand. We know that 8 out of 10 of the uninsured live in households where at least one person is working. So this is a working population, and that's why we spent a lot of time focusing our efforts on how can we make sure that if they're offered health insurance by their employer, that they accept that offer of health insurance, nearly half don't, uh, and just as importantly, that we're helping those employers, particularly small businesses that want to offer health insurance, um, help them do that. And we know that we can do that. We have programs that are working right now. Uh, the state of Oklahoma is providing a subsidy to low-wage workers, and it's been very effective. 
Um, basically, in small businesses, the employer will say, we can afford about one-third of the premium. We think our low-wage workers can pay about a third of that premium. We need a helping hand with that remaining third. Uh, and then let's not lose sight of what I call true health system reform, and it's what the senator just mentioned. We need to provide better value for the dollars that we're spending in health care. And I think there is tremendous bipartisan agreement both inside the Beltway, outside the Beltway, on Capitol Hill, off Capitol Hill. I think this is the most exciting area where a lot of work is going on. Let's make sure that we're using evidence-based medicine, that we're using the highest quality medicine. And if we are doing that, if we can improve the quality, we think we can definitely reduce the cost. So I think there is a lot of common ground um, that the various healthcare sectors and business and consumers and labor really can come together on. Um, but we do have to be able to check our weapons at the door, uh, not just go for our top priority, be willing to take our second position and find that common ground. And we have to do it. Mary, thanks. Paul, you have been in uh, a, a variety of uh, parts of the healthcare system and seen it from a number of perspectives, including, including as an employer. Uh, how, how do you see this, uh, the, the, the potential for common ground? Well, uh, I think Senator Baucus, uh, in passing, said something that is the beginning of that answer, which is uh, system or lack thereof. We are getting the results for which this system was perfectly designed, which is um, incentives that are not aligned with doing right things but doing more, uh, quality that's not defined or measured but quality that's presumed, and access that's highly variable, as, uh, as Nancy said. So um, as we sit here, Brian, uh, the health cost will exceed 8% this year. The government had forecasted it would be 6.1 to 6.7%. It will be north of 8%. This will be the 16th year in a row that it's exceeded by at least 3%, the overall cost that most businesses bear for operating a business. Um, the numbers of people that are uh, uninsured is dwarfed by the numbers who are at peril for health costs. Another 25 million people are underinsured. We have 14 million people in this country who right now owe providers a substantial amount of money, 4,000 or more, who could be forced into involuntary bankruptcy. So um, it's a perplexing problem. It's not going to be solved in the next four years because it took us 60 years to get here. Um, and the solutions are not going to be, um, we have a great tendency in healthcare to circle the wagons and shoot in. Uh, we tend doctors to blame hospitals or plans or government or plans to blame hospitals or doctors. And this is a a systemic flaw, and it's going to require some shared pain. Um, so in our view, um, some of those building blocks are first. We will have to really define what we mean by evidence-based care. If we're only getting evidence-based care half the time right now, and we know there's an association between the use of electronic medical records and more accuracy in the diagnosis, more appropriate interventions, then we should expedite access to the EMR. If we know that fewer than 10% of doctors are going into primary care because they leave med school and residency with $128,000 of debt, 
then we have to explore different ways of attracting primary care to coordinate care and reduce demand on the system. Third, we have to address the payment model, a shift perhaps from volume and visits and tests to uh, episode-based payments or some model that rewards coordination of care. And in our judgment, uh, those are the three uh, building blocks, and we can expect momentum in the next four years, regardless of who's sitting uh, in the White House, because it's necessary. And I think those are the common grounds uh, on which we can address the issue of the under and, non- and non-insured. Coming up, part two of Will the Uninsured Get Health Insurance? Highlights of a panel discussion presented by U.S. News and World Report and the American Medical Association at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., Stay tuned for more of this special coverage on ReachMD XM157, which continues right after this brief break.